0: everybody. Welcome to Don't Get in the Van. I'm Mandy, And I'm Caitlin. And today, Caitlin has a surprise for all of us because I have no idea what we're talking about. And I actually think this is pretty fun to not know since we both are very, very on top of true crime. and know a lot of these cases, it's just kind of fun to see what she's going to bring us. So, Caitlin, what do you have for us today?
1: So today we're going to be talking about Timothy Krasir. I want to say that's how you pronounce his last name. I looked up multiple ways to pronounce it and that sounded the best and was the easiest for me to say. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we're going with. So if I'm wrong, somebody correct me later. Um, Sounds sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Krizier was born Timothy Wayne McBride in West Mahoney Township, Pennsylvania to Charles McBride and Fern Yost on November 28th, 1944. In 1945, when Timothy was around a year old, his father abandoned the family, leaving Yost to raise him on her own. And uh, in 1949 or 1950, when Timothy was either five or six years old, Yost met and married Bernie Krazier. So we're going to go ahead and get jump right into some early criminal deviant behaviors because uh, he didn't really waste much time. <laughs> because became engaged in criminal and deviant behavior early in his life he was charged with petty theft of a bicycle in harrisburg at age six in 1951 six um six years old can you imagine my six-year-old stealing a <laughs> dude he became engaged in voyeurism Uh-oh. and exhibitionism at age 13 no In 1958, was again charged with petty theft in New Milford, Pennsylvania at age 15 in 1960. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about him as a person here. Timothy uh, McBride was legally adopted by Bernie in 1953. And Timothy McBride's surname obviously changed to Krasir at this point. So at the age of 10, Timothy Krasir began to develop an unhealthy sexual and emotional obsession with his mother. Oh God. Yes. We were talking about one of those. Krasir later enrolled at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, where he what? earned a bachelor's in administration of justice with a minor
0: in psychology. I went there for two years. You know, that's where I met my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Many years later, but still. Yeah. All right. So,
1: um. He enrolled in the U.S. Navy at age 17 in 1962 and participated in basic training in Great Lakes, Illinois. He was dishonorably discharged for sexual assault in 1963 after 14 months of service. Not surprising. All right. So let's get into some more crimes here. So he first entered the Illinois prison system in 1963 on a rape conviction Since then, he has spent most of his adult life behind bars for sex crimes, except for a brief period of freedom in the late 1970s and early 1980s. During this brief period, he killed at least nine women. Curzier has been incarcerated since 1982. In spring of 1983, at age 38, he was arrested in Allentown, Pennsylvania, after police found him in his car holding a pistol, which was a violation of his parole terms. On May 3rd, 1983, he attempted and failed (laughs) to escape from prison in Allentown, breaking (laughs) his leg in the process.
0: Dumbass. (laughs) Later that
1: year, he was tried and convicted for indecent assaults, robbery, criminal trespassing and sentenced to two and a half years to five years in Pennsylvania prison. He served five years in Greatford State Prison in Skipec township pennsylvania (laughs) following completion of his pennsylvania sentence in 1988 at age 43 he was moved to big muddy river correctional center in ina illinois that is actually the name big muddy
0: river correctional center that's weird i mean i get it like it must be somewhere close to hear because Big Muddy is the Mississippi, right? Okay, but I that is
1: just the most ridiculous name. I mean, it's stupid, yes. Big Muddy River Correctional Center in
0: Ina, Illinois. They're trying to make it sound fun. Huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so he completed his sentencing terms for parole violations and violating his prior conditional release terms there. Uh there he also chose to remain in prison. state Uh, saying that he did not wish to hurt anyone. He also ceased attempting to convince officials that he wished to change his criminal ways. And he stopped attending prison therapy sessions. (laughs) He remained in prison for nearly 20 years from age 42 to 62.
0: Oh my God. He was like, listen, let's just be real.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know what's up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Fuck all this. I've got got myself
1: figured out i'm like good on prison therapy thanks but no thanks that was hilarious oh my god all right so let's start talking about his serial murders because stumped investigators because he chose his victims randomly and attacked in multiple geographic locations his female victims shared very few if any commonalities uh some were white some were black some were in their 30s or 20s while others were in their 50s and 60s okay Investigators believe that Kazir was motivated by sexual urges that led him to first rape and then murder his victims. In carrying out his crimes, Kazir would travel to various towns that he had no connection to, stalk his victims, and then break into their homes and wait for them to arrive. In 1977, Krasir was released from prison after serving time for rape, and as a condition of his parole, he was required to enroll at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. There, in 1981, he earned a degree in administrative justice with a minor in psychology. What? Yeah. Some victims were found tied up in their beds. Others were kidnapped and transported across state lines before they were killed. Most of them were raped and forced to perform sexual acts. Some were killed by gunshot to the head. Others were stabbed or asphyxiated. There was little evidence pointing to any of the rapes or murders being linked or to having them been committed by the same person. The lack of forensic and DNA technology at the time and multiple methods of murder made it difficult for investigators to link all the crimes to a single suspect. All right. So let's talk about his known victims. Okay. And I'm going to... i I tried to find as much information as I could about each one. Um, So I'll try to give you as much as I can. A couple of them. There really wasn't a whole lot to get the first two because it was two initially at one time. Oh, Mary Parsh and her daughter, Brenda Parsh. Mary Parsh was 58. Brenda was 27. Uh, So Brenda had just flown home to Cape Girardeau, Missouri to help her 58 year old mother, Mary Parsh, while her father was in the hospital. Police found the two women's nude bodies lying next to each other on a bed with their hands tied behind their backs. Kazir had been stalking Mary, who he assumed lived alone, so he was surprised when the two women arrived back at the house where he was laying in wait. He raped Brenda Parsh, then shot them both and left to attend a friend's bachelor party. What? The next morning, he was a groomsman at that friend's wedding. So our next victim is Sheila Cole, she's 21 was kidnapped from a Walmart parking lot on November 16th, 1977, and found dead a day later at a rest area near McClure, Illinois. She had been shot twice in the head. The next one is Virginia Lee Witt, 51, was found dead at her Marion home by her husband David Witt on May 12th, 1978. She'd been strangled to death and suffered a severe knife wound.
0: What year was he at Carbondale again? I know it was the 81, I think. Okay. And what year did this one just happen? Uh-huh. Uh, 1978. Interesting. Because that one happened in Marion, Illinois, which is literally right next to Carbondale. So I was wondering if that coincided somehow.
1: Well, he was there um, in the eighties, but he was also there in the seventies because that's where he started going to school.
0: Oh, so he went back. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. What a dick. And then letting him out. I just don't understand. Why do you let let him out out? and made him go to school? Right. You're like, let's send a rapist to the college campus. Mm -hmm. Good idea. Yep. Okay. Sorry. I just needed to clarify in my brain. You're you're good. (laughs) All right. So our next victim is
1: Joyce Tharp 21. Her naked body was found dumped amid garbage cans behind a Paducah church. Uh, Krasir spotted Tharp through a window, broke into her home while she was asleep and told her he wouldn't hurt her if she cooperated. He then drove about an hour north to his home in Illinois, where he forced Tharp to perform a sex act before strangling her. He then stashed her body in the trunk of his car and at nightfall returned to Kentucky to dump her body. All right, this next one I was able to get a lot of information about. So we've got a nice little chunk here. Uh, Our next victim is Myrtle Rupp. She was 51. She had been on leave from Community General Hospital in Reading following foot surgery and was looking forward to returning to her job. She had worked at the hospital for about 28 years, serving as head of the obstetrics and pediatric department. Uh, She was last seen alive on Easter Sunday, April 15th, 1979. She and her mother attended a holiday service at St. Stephen's United Church of Christ in, in Reading or Reading, and took her mother home before returning to her own house. The next afternoon, a newspaper boy noticed her front door was open. It was still open on Tuesday. So a neighbor, obviously alarmed by this, went inside and found her nude body on her bed. Her hands and feet were bound. She was raped and killed inside her home on Fifth Avenue in Temple on April 17, 1979. Investigators determined that Rupp was probably killed on April 16th between 9, 930 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., just as she was starting to a load of laundry. Police believe her killing was connected uh, to the break-in a week earlier. An autopsy revealed Rupp had been tied and strangled with a drapery cord and she had been raped. A key piece of evidence was her white bedspread, which was examined at the state police lab, but DNA testing was not part of detective work until the 1980s, late 1980s. The bedspread was still in the crime lab in May 2006, when State Police Corporal William Moyer began a review of cold cases. In December 2006, all evidence in the case was sent to a state police crime lab in Bethlehem. About nine months later, the lab testing revealed a stain on the bedspread, which was then forwarded to the police's state DNA lab in Greensburg for testing. The DNA sample from Rupp's bedspread matched Krasir, whose DNA information was now in nationwide evidence banks. Krasir told officers, I did it. He said... He had chosen Rupp by chance. He was peeping into windows and saw her inside. The house was locked, so he decided he'd come back another time to sexually assault her. The next day, he broke in through the front door with no one home. He cut the phone line and wandered around. Krasir said he laid on top of Rupp's bed and waited. When Rupp came home, he heard her talking with someone, so he fled. A week later, Krasir returned with a fake police badge he knocked and when rup answered he said he was a police officer investigating the burglary from from the previous week rup invited him inside after talking a few minutes he pulled a knife directed her to the bedroom and ordered her to remove her clothes krasir said he raped her but was unsure what he used to tie her up or strangle her he said he did not know why he killed rup but added she didn't deserve to die oh okay yeah okay so our next victim is Ida White, 72. White was found with multiple stab wounds on September 7th, 1981 in Mount Vernon, Illinois. She was transported to the hospital in serious condition. Her neighbor had heard her screams and came to Ida's home. The elderly woman was in her bathtub with multiple stab wounds to her abdomen. The neighbor saw the perpetrator leave through the bathroom window. Ida later died at the hospital from her injuries. The neighbor described the perpetrator as a black male with a rough face and facial hair. Police were quick to identify a suspect. A man named Grover Thompson was found sleeping across the street at the local post office. He was taken in for questioning and put in a lineup. The lineup was mishandled as Grover was the only suspect shown to the witness. The witness reluctantly identified him, although his clothing did not match the description. There were other issues with the case. Grover had a disabled leg, yet authorities believed he had jumped out of a window uh, and down five feet. Grover Thompson died in prison. He was found to be wrongfully convicted for the 1981 assault and stabbing of Ida White. Thompson became the first person to be granted clemency by the University of Illinois Innocence Project posthumously.
0: I knew he sounded familiar. Yeah, another. Okay, I don't even have to go into it. You know how I feel, but misidentification yeah. and mishandling, and it's just ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah. Ugh. Okay,
1: go ahead. All right. So, our next victim is Margie Call, 57, found strangled inside her home on January 27th, 1982. Unfortunately, that's all I was able to find for her. Ah, oh, damn it. Our next victim, Deborah Shepherd, 23. She was a bright, friendly college student at Southern Illinois University. A friend found Shepard's nude body inside her Carbondale, Illinois apartment on the night of April 8th, 1982. Police later deducted that Krasir had sexually assaulted Shepard, then strangled her to death. Um, And like I said before, she was 23 years old, just two weeks, two weeks away from graduating. Uh. And though both Krasir and her had been SIU students, Police couldn't find any evidence that Krasir and Shepard knew each other. All right. So our final victim we're going to talk about uh, also couldn't really find anything on. She was 65. She was found shot to death inside her home on June 21st, 1982. All right. So let's get into all of his sentencing. Okay. In August of 2007, Krasir was finally connected to a murder because of DNA evidence left at the crime scene. At the time of uh, the commission of the crime, DNA testing was not available, but um, as DNA analysis advanced, testing became possible. Krasir was sentenced on December 10th, 2007 to 40 years in prison for the 1982 killing of Southern Illinois University Carbondale student, Deborah Shepard, and five counts of murder and three counts of rape against women in the Cape Girardeau area from 1977 to 1982. On January 18, 2008, Grazier pleaded guilty and was sentenced to another 40 years in prison for the 1978 killing of Marion, Illinois resident, Virginia Lee Witt. The new sentence will be served consecutively with the 40 year sentence he received in December of 2007. On April 4th, 2008, Grazier pleaded guilty to the murder of five women in Cape Girardeau, Missouri to seven sexual assaults and one robbery. He was then sentenced to an additional 13 consecutive life terms. Relatives of the victims agreed to the plea bargain, which uh, saved Krasir from the possible death penalty sentence. At his sentencing in in April, 2008, Krasir stated, I don't know if I could have been so generous if I were in the same situation. Thank you for sparing my life. Krasir is currently held at the Pontiac Correctional Center in Pontiac, Illinois. And he's still alive still there and that's the most current information
0: well he sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> what a total dick oh, my God yeah awful. wow very awful yeah so another
1: somewhat local yeah Missouri, St. Louis case for you guys
0: so interesting because you know I wonder because I stayed departments in, in Carbondale I wonder, what apartments it was that some of this took place in, you know, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I know that campus, I know the places around there, Cape Girardeau is not that far. You may have even been over to Cape Girardeau, there's wineries and stuff there, but yeah, so interesting that it's all around that area and that it took so long for him to get caught. I feel like.
1: Yeah. I mean, somebody who's had multiple like rape occurrences and things like that, you would think that they would have locked him up longer, but I mean, we don't need to get into the entire Roe versus Wade in this whole situation, but even the actual um, like sentencing for somebody who rapes somebody right now is way less, you know what I mean? than if you were to get knocked up and not allowed to make that decision about whether you want to keep that child or not.
0: Right. It's insane. It's insane. And just again, like, you know, okay, hold on. Is he black or white? He's white. That's what I thought. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's what I thought. (laughs) I being so rude, but fuck that. Cause that's such bullshit. So the neighbor saw someone jump out of the window. The neighbor said it was a black man. They said that they
1: weren't sure, but they thought that it looked like it might be a black male that jumped out of the window. Gotcha. Okay. And And then then the reason this guy got questioned is because he was sleeping outside uh, across the street. Gotcha. But he had a severe Disabled disability. Lady. Yes. And he wasn't wearing the same clothing. And so when they did the lineup, they only showed the neighbor this person. So that person reluctantly was like, okay, yeah, I guess it must be this one. Cause they didn't show them anybody else. So they almost kind of forced this person's hand into choosing. So it was more so I wouldn't be upset with the neighbor. I'm more yeah. upset with the cops in this situation yeah. because well, if they had done a proper lineup, right. They probably would have been like, I don't think any of these people are them.
0: And that's lazy policing. It's po- lazy police work. So, oh, well, he was conveniently across the street. So I guess Tim doesn't, I mean, and then he died in prison or died in jail. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, and so Timothy Krasir has like facial hair and everything. I'll go back
1: to this part where it says the neighbor described the perpetrator as a black male with a rough face and facial hair. So the police were quick to identify him because he was found sleeping across the street he was taken in for questioning put into a lineup but the lineup was only him yeah so the witness reluctantly identified him although his clothing did not match the description which makes me believe that the neighbor was like well his clothes don't really match but i guess it's a black guy with facial hair so maybe
0: right i just i don't get it oh my god okay that's just
1: and the police knew this guy had a disabled leg so they pretty much knew that there was a good possibility that he's not the one who jumped out the window, but they were just like
0: right, ready to dropped, nail this guy. Right. Oh, yeah. Dropped five feet. They're like, and Let's just get him off the streets.
1: Unfortunately, he died in prison wrongfully. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, Oh, he died. I, I believe he died in prison of old age
0: sure. after being
1: wrongfully convicted. I mean, it's nice that they posthumously granted him clemency. Sure. So his family gets to live with that. But this poor fucking dude died in prison for no reason
0: yes he did interesting okay well there's lots wrong with police work that we you know as we know yeah um i so- believe that deborah
1: Shepard and um tharp those were the two african-american women everybody else was white that he killed
0: but again he didn't really kind of like ramirez a little well yeah pretty much like that he didn't yeah. really have a typical anything right just no to- he was just kind of going for women that he watched that he thought he could
1: break in. I mean, that very first one, he'd been watching the mom for a minute. And he thought yeah. that like, he didn't think that she had anybody living there. Cause she really didn't. The husband was in the hospital. The daughter wasn't supposed to be there. Right. So then he ended up getting a twofer out of that one on, you know, not. Yeah. And then, um, the other one that we talked about how he had been in the house, waited, and then heard somebody come home and talking to somebody so he escaped then comes back later like oh i know about your break-in oh. i'm a cop i came to talk he knows about the break-in because he was the fucking one who broke in that's so that was like a couple week long situation there with Rupp, where he had uh been you know had yeah. stalked her and then came back and waited around
0: right yeah a little obsessive over certain ones other ones seem just kind of like opportunistic but some it's like kind of obsessive. Which is
1: just another one of those things where I feel like we need to bring up the facts that like, just because a police officer comes to your door, it doesn't necessarily like, if you have some kind of weird feeling about it, you do not have to let them in your house. Right. You exactly. know what I mean? You you don't have to like, you, not, and yeah. And, and, and if you're that concerned about it, you can always call the station to be like, Hey officer, so-and-so badge numbered, blah, blah, blah. Says that they're here to speak with me about whatever, I just want to verify that this is accurate information. Nobody's going to be mad at you about that. They might get irritated because it's going to make it like they're going to be sitting there a little bit longer than they wanted to be. You know what I mean? But if you feel uncomfortable and you want to verify that information, that's your fucking right. So verify it. Agreed. Just let somebody into your house.
0: No. Step outside your house. Cop,
1: cop or not. I don't give a fuck. No police officers walking in my fucking house. I don't care. Sorry. No.
0: Yeah. You got a warrant.
1: You're not coming in. I know. So I was going to say, get a warrant. Yep. (laughs) You got a warrant. You can come in and talk to me. Otherwise we're, we're talking outside this front door where all my fucking neighbors can see you. Yeah, exactly. Just in case. Yeah. So I don't trust it. I don't trust anybody.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> one. I trust no one. Yeah. Oh, Somebody made me snort. Okay. That's <laughs> oh, all right. Well, yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, case. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> you want to move on to trivia <laughs>
1: anytime? Sure. Okay. All right. I guess I haven't done this in a while, so we'll do a
0: trivia. There you
1: go. Um, So last week I asked you guys who had initially considered having a roast duck as his last meal, but opted for Pizza Hut, stuffed crust pizza, four Burger King Whoppers, French fries, fried squash, fried eggplant, fried okra, a whole pecan pie, and three two liter Pepsis. Dude. And the
0: answer was Marion Albert Pruitt. Marion, Albert Pruitt, you are fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's weird for other reasons, but holy shit balls. Right. That was a lot of stuff. Well, just to keep on theme, because you guys know how much I love these
1: last meals. They're so funny. I've got another one for you. <laughs> Wait, So did anybody answer the, that one right? I don't believe so, but I think that I fucked up and I don't think I posted the actual trivia this week. All right. Well, there you go. That was. I think a- I forgot to post it on Instagram, but you know, you guys don't have to wait for me to post it. You can just message us when you listen to the episode. Like I know you all listen to these episodes. Absolutely. This week's question is who requested a last meal of a 21 piece bucket of Kentucky fried chicken, two large Domino's pizzas with oh. no, with no anchovies, a bag of jelly beans, <laughs> a six pack of Pepsi, And a pack of Camel cigarettes. Wow. Okay. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm pretty sure I got a couple more of these last meal questions because I got (laughs) uh, down a rabbit hole and that's where we landed. So I think they're hilarious. They're my favorite.
0: I love seeing what
1: somebody's like, I'm going to be dead tomorrow. I have to eat this.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is what I have to have.
0: Yeah. Give me all of it. (laughs) I love it. I really wish I knew how much they actually ate of it though, because that's a shit ton. Oh, I know if we could find, yeah, the, like how much people actually
1: consumed of these things, because like, I mean, fuck it. If you're about to get lethal injection, who cares? Eat till you're sick.
0: Yeah. Nobody it doesn't do matter. Fuck.
1: Yeah, yeah it exactly. Doesn't. Like eat, throw it up a little bit, eat some more fucking puke and rally. Let's go. Like I'm about yeah. to die. Who cares? You don't have to deal
0: with the cleanup later exactly (laughs) so gross
1: could be like your last little fu to the fucking correctional officers you know exactly
0: yep clean up this shit show yeah
1: possibly i mean because i know i would order way more food than i can actually eat i have the stomach of a fucking tiny bird so i would just like eat as much as i could probably throw up in the corner and then eat more and then (laughs) i'd probably (laughs) just keep doing that so that i could fucking eat as much of it as possible to be completely honest with you
0: oh my god i'm just saying Oh, I know you would, you'd need a toilet nearby for sure.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Um, <laughs> so I feel
1: like I really loved when we did those last meals and everybody told us their last meals. Me so I feel like we need to come up with some new, um, like if it was your last day on earth, what would you do? Yeah. Where would you go? That kind of a thing. Sure. So maybe, um, well, should we just announce it yeah. now or should yeah. we just, okay. Let's so just do that. So is that, do we want to do that one then? Yeah. Okay. So if it was your last day on earth, what what would you want to do? What would be like your ideal last day before you die? Like what you just have to, it's what you would have to do. Yep. And it can be a number of things. I don't care. I just want you to describe your last day in detail. Yeah. So um, and then we'll come up with ours. So yep. everybody send us your last day in detail of what you would want. You can DM it or email it to us, however you want to go about it. And uh, maybe we'll leave this one open for like yeah. one or two episodes and that yeah. way we'll come back to it later.
0: Yep. That sounds good.
1: Cool. <laughs> That's fun. Okay. cool. Okay. Yeah. Come up with those. Cause I just, I love seeing what all of our listeners come up with as far as these kinds of things. Like the last meal one was so fun and I'm yeah. tempted to do it again and be like anybody who didn't answer answer. We want more. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Cause I totally. think I
1: would probably change mine if oh, we yeah. did it again. Like it, it would probably be different. Yeah, for sure. So there's that.
0: Oh, I also want to
1: announce, which I don't know if we announced this last week or not, but we have officially been a podcast for a year. So our podcast, uh, one year birthday was August 23rd. And we just want to shout out all of our amazing listeners, everybody who's been so active and uh, vocal on our pages. And, um, thank you guys so much for listening We've had so much fun and we're so stoked to bring you guys another year of true crime.
0: Absolutely. Yay. I will with that. Thanks guys for listening. Thank you for your support rate review, share, whatever um, suits your fancy Mm -hmm. and yeah. And we'll catch you next time. So as always, remember, don't don't get get in the the van.